Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of season two of Dickinson Forevermore podcast. I am one third of your podcast host, Robin Detman. I'm a director and producer at LDW Films and I'm the producer nerd on this podcast. Hi, I'm Jess. I am a writer, actor, and the resident editing nerd of this podcast. Hi, I'm Jay Red. I'm a photographer. I'm a music producer. And like my queen, Emily Dickinson says, I dwell in possibilities. In this week's podcast, we're at season two in our rewatch Dickinson 2022. We're at episode one, Before I Got My Eye Put Out, and episode two, Fame is a Fickle Food. So we're going to start off with our host segment, as always. We're going to talk about facades, how they rise and how they fall. Where are all our beloved Dickinson characters right now? And what are what glimpses are we seeing of the future? Next, we're going to look at fame as a fickle food. We're going to look at the episode, but we're also going to deep dive into the poem, which we don't do very often. But this is such a big theme, and we go deep. For the guest segment, we're going to be talking about multifaceted women in art with our multifaceted woman in art, Courtney Leanna from Nottingham, England. She is a portrait photographer. She does art such as threaded canvases, canvases, and collages up on her Etsy site, which we'll be posting on the podcast Twitter. She also is a published poet. Yeah, looking forward to getting into that. Can't wait. But first, let's dive into season two, episode one. So our first topic is facades rise and fall. Jess, what do you got? Yeah, uh, I mean, we we open this episode with a montage and we, we kind of see a, a, a slight breakdown of each character um but for the most part it's like going in depth we see that emily is struggling from the beginning but Mm -hmm. in this specific montage she's constantly writing this is her most prolific era she's pushing all of this poetry over to sue Mm -hmm. and sue can barely contain it yeah you know what i noticed when when I, I when I was looking at it this last time is that um, the only person who doesn't read the newspaper is Emily. Everybody else does, including Sue, who leaves the poem sitting outside her door and takes the newspaper in. So I thought that was an interesting montage piece mm-hmm. of like what we're seeing there. And then I know we're going to talk about newspaper later, but I just want to say in that first one, it really struck me. I was like, she's the only one who's not engaged. She was just writing her little, tiny little heart out. Writing her tiny heart out to Sue. Her dirty, her dirty little heart. left her by the door for now. And then actually in that montage, you can like, since we are talking about Lavinia's, um, metamorphoses yeah. of sports right um yeah, yeah. during the montage it zooms into what she's reading and it's the marriages mm-hmm. <laughs> which really sets us up for the character that i emulate un like unintendedly when i go cake would be shit <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> i low-key i'm not gonna lie i low-key love shift yeah I do too i mean he's such a great clueless character that brings so much and he does it so well he um, has this odd charm to him <laughs> he totally does so that's well good then my unintentional shipping shippily shipley mannerisms of yelling words at one point is charming i'm just gonna say it's charming <laughs> it's charming even it's if charming no one quality. else feels that way charming Agreed. quality cake, <laughs> cake. <laughs> that's that's the best one 
That's the best ship one. I forgot that it was even in there. Or the, hey man, don't steal my girl. Don't steal my girl. That was still my land. I love that. And I love how I love that. I love how like they just slip in this this knowledge that many of us who are denied full history and are still denied full history. Thank you very much. People we won't talk about. Um where she's like, you're a native sailor? And he's like, actually, there are a lot of Native American sailors. You know, it's like these little facts that they slip in that aren't, you know, that are related to the time and not necessarily related directly back to Emily Dickinson or or the um, the characters, but I just love that. Love it. So facades, so who are we seeing in these, yeah. in these montages? Because there's two in episode one, right? There's an opening one and then the second one. Yes. The second one in closing. Um, the second one I feel has more of a, a depth to it than the first. You know, the first is more of an introduction. Yeah. We're waking up to the to the new season, right? Uh, and now we see in that second montage, we see kind of everybody how they are and how they revert mm. back to themselves at the end of the day. You know, like we all do. I mean, we all have to put on some kind of face for the day, right? Like we can be ourselves, but we can also placate totally, who we need yeah. to to That's get through the day. That's a great way to articulate right? that. <laughs> for, me, for me, yeah. For me, it's called code switching. Code switching. Okay. Yeah. Well, in this code switch of a montage, um, we see, you know, Sue looking in the mirror, checking herself out. We see it appeal to this vanity of her, right? And we see her kind of hold herself back and kind of almost check herself like, okay, you need to look, you know, pick it up. You need to look this way. Keep it together. Keep it together. It was a reminder. And then we see Austin like out on the porch smoking a cigarette. And we see Henry in the yeah. barn with the Constellation and his group of peers, right? So, I mean, like we, we see this breakdown of how the characters are at the end of the day. And it was like a nice contrast to that opening montage where we see everybody yeah. kind of coming into no, the totally. day. Yeah. I thought that look in the mirror was really interesting, especially she looks really uncomfortable and then she kind of settles in and smiles at herself. And it, it also made me wonder the real life Sue who did have Sue's salon and these salons were attended by like. T.S. Eliot, like really, really like important people of the day. Um, you know, Sue's portrayed one way in this show, right? As an orphan, which she wasn't in real, well, she was an orphan in real life, but she did have siblings. And then she had options. I mean, she could have been a teacher. And I don't know what that might've actually meant in the, like to live like that in the 1800s, but she did have that option, but she chose to come back to be near Emily, of course, um, and to marry Austin. Um, but she was really smart and she had this intellect and then she had this salon. So I am sort of interested and I'm probably going to do a little mini dive into that of like the real Sue, like, you know, does that vanity come from what other people saw or was it just, were these salons in real life, a natural extension of the intellect of Sue? I think it's both. Yeah. I think you have to be some sort of a mastermind or some sort of a, a just brilliant person to be able to network yeah. like that because that that is what it is it's networking and essentially you have all these you know people of power people of influence um also 
just intellectuals all gathering in one parlor. Yeah, but it's also super stimulating. I mean, I don't want to put our podcast on that level, but like we, I learned so much by having these conversations and that's what salons were initially for, not, not to, you know, I mean, of course there's always ego involved, but it was to get really great minds in a room where you could learn and talk and explore. And it wasn't just about like being in a newspaper and people saying, oh, look, you know, it wasn't always vanity based, or at least that was always kind of my, I guess, um, my take on it was that vanity could come out of it, but really it was the people who started salons, which I believe started in France, is, you know, just to get together these amazing minds. Um, For me, it kind of like during uh, that salon scene, right? We see um, (laughs) the gang, the group, right? Uh, we see them conversing and then talking about starting. I was a book doing club calligraphy. Or <laughs> all these things. Totally. <laughs> they said Emerson is canceled. And of course, the widow, everything widow, which is great. It's like and, I fainted. Of course you did. The widow, widow. And then she fainted. <laughs> no. And then and then you see you see it pinpoint to like Sue whenever, you know. Jane is like, oh my God, I love that dress. Did Betty make it for you? She's like, oh no, I actually don't go to Betty's anymore. It was made in New York, but the design Vienna, comes yeah. from- Yeah, she's sticking it to Jane Vienna? though. Who stuck it to her many times, so. Yeah, Vienna. Yeah, and then, she... but you can see, I don't know if for me, like when I was watching her say those lines, I could see there's like this layer. Oh yeah. There's like her, you know, of course, trying to like one-up her, right? But at the same time, you see a little bit of like, insecurity there oh yeah totally i still maintain that that sue doesn't take a a good breath throughout the entire season unless she's with emily like Mm -hmm. i feel like the breath and i'm i don't i'm not saying this is a choice ella did i don't know but i feel like her voice is higher and she's more intact and of course we see what happens in the scene that they're in together um where she does get to breathe but then i feel like she doesn't really breathe again until she gets in um with sam's wife and she she finally starts to get into that pain and that's Um, that release Mm -hmm. yeah but totally totally that layer yeah and and for a second uh can we touch on the the newspapers in that first montage right we see um we see outside the amherst general store and lavinia's outside there's about like five, maybe six uh, crates with newspapers in them, mm-hmm. uh, all different, all different um, newspapers. And she, of course, picks up Springfield Republican. Um, but to me, you know, the way I saw it was like, you know, everybody's reading the newspaper for a multitude of reasons. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a part of technological advancement, right? Printing yeah. press, moving forward. Things are moving in a massive, you know, pace um, at the time. And it's displaying you know all of these newspapers outside the store i feel like it was framing how the vast majority of people connect to the outside world through the lens of media totally. you know we were talking about lavinia looking at the matrimony section of the newspaper right um i mean like everybody was looking at a different section yeah everyone mm-hmm. because we see mrs dickinson looking at recipes <laughs> yeah no totally <laughs> Hold on. no but I'm, I'm laughing because you remember when uh Lavinia's in talking to Mrs. Dickinson holding the newspaper talking about Sue's salons 
And then Mrs. Dickinson snatches the newspaper and starts dusting the newspaper. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. She was like, why does everything have to change? <laughs> that is so great. You know, what's so interesting is that I, what occurred to me was that Sue was really the first person with any sort of celebrity in that Dickinson circle because celebrity mm -hmm. there's um there's this great short that I didn't know existed that's on Apple TV site where it's Elena talking about how newspapers then helped to create celebrity for the first time and Sue is actually in the paper so actually she's the first Dickinson to actually get some kind of fame um so I thought like that was a modern really day yeah like a modern day influencer yeah, I mean, which, you hear yeah. Lavinia call her that. She said she's an influencer. Yeah. I mean, you know, again, I mean, I, I think I say this every single time, but it's, there's so much depth to this show all the time where I'm like, oh my God, like, like, how did I not notice that at first? And it was because I was noticing other things. Um, but yeah, the really the depth about, you know, the comparison of media, just like you said, and celebrity and then everything that Emily's about to go through, um, it's all right there. Um, I, I know we're going to talk about one of the things that I saw was Frasier, which I didn't realize she was, I didn't remember. He said from the very beginning, fame is dangerous, don't do it. Like, <laughs> I'm like, how did I mm -hmm. miss that? Like, I feel like for me, Frasier and Sam are like the dual sides of fame. And that Frazier's even more like Emily's work coming to her, right? This is the first time we've really seen a vision, like talk to her um, that's not related to Sue. But I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you guys think about this. But like for me, I felt like it was her subconscious being like, danger's coming, <laughs> you know? And it's well, yeah. coming through her work. And I know that we're going we're gonna to get into the poem, but it really struck me watching these two episodes of those two mm -hmm. opposites. And then it made me think about the times when my subconscious will start being like, Hey, Robin, <laughs> no, 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 no. Like sometimes it's usually through dreams that are really, really vivid that I, wake I mean, up everyone, like, everyone has that intuition, like yeah. whether you choose to believe it or not, like you have that for me, I say sixth sense, you have that gut feeling, you have that, yes, those, that sensory in your body that like tells you like hey look no like like for me trigger warning yeah yeah it's a, yeah like for me like I'll have a situation where I'll be out right and then like I'll just be like okay you need to go home yeah and then someone will ask you why are you going home oh I don't know just gonna go watch some tv just anything right you don't know the exact reason why you want to go home but then you go home and then you find out maybe a few hours later that something crazy happened and you're like oh I'm so glad I went home yeah everyone has that 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 intuition so like yeah for her to know that her legacy was not being famous at the time was not to be published or you know to seek fame while she was alive was dead on and what a brilliant use of like the magical realism of bringing Fraser in with I'm nobody like and and the way that it's introduced which we know it's a poem I just think again the way that they use it in the show was so brilliant well, I was just going to say in, in correlation to what you were saying about uh, Fraser and, and Emily, um, <clears throat> even she makes the reference to him in, in 209, I like a look of agony, if fame belonged to me, I could not escape her. And that was her clue that fame is dangerous. Mm -hmm. She that, that was the original subconscious thought, I think, was if fame belonged to me, I could not escape her. 
And knowing that is why she was so back and forth about it. Because, I mean, we'll we'll break down about it in the poem because it's pretty self-explanatory, I think, um, in it. Well, for me, I think, I don't know if you guys, I analyzed it this way. Like, if fame was mine, I could not escape her. In my head, the way I saw it, Sue is fame right now as well. Sue is fame. Like, she is the first person to be famous out of the family, right? Sue is fame. And she is, in theory, this whole season, pushing Emily to seek fame. Yeah. And Emily is like trying to turn the corner, turn the corner, trying to get away from it. But Sue keeps pushing her towards that. And eventually, you know, we see that wedge being driven in between them at the end of the season. Well, it's also Sue's way of trying to get out from feeling all her feelings for Emily. Like she even says, Mm -hmm. I can't be your only reader, which in season three comes back in a different way. Right. But like, she's, I think like, Sue also wants her to be famous because she she can't handle those feelings. So she needs Emily's energy to go somewhere else. So it's not even just self-serving her. But then there's that other side of like, Sue will also get credit. And she says that later for bringing Emily to the world. So yeah. I do also feel, I do also feel that like, there was good intention behind that. Yeah. Even though we see it this season, we see it painted and, and, a darker light right but I feel like there were good intentions behind that because even after Emily's death she tried her best to preserve Emily's legacy as best as she could oh yeah and I think the show is taking and I don't think artistic license makes sense because Elena from the beginning said hey I'm not <laughs> this is a revisionist this is one way mm-hmm. to express a story but I don't see Sue the same from what I've been reading about Sue and what I get from Sue real life Sue the little things I don't think it's the same as what we're seeing in the show. I think I think the show is is portraying her in a certain way. Yeah, you see that her in a darker light, right? Or you see her trying to push Emily towards fame in a darker light. But I do see those like undertones of her good intentions. Oh, totally. Like I said, I mean, like you can see that whenever she has this facade up, you can still see that layer of insecurity. Yeah. The same way you can still see the good intentions behind her trying to push Emily to get, you know, published. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's, I think, I think Ella talked about that at one point and her and Haley talked about how they keep showing that connection but I think Ella specifically was talking about how in season two, you had to you had to see what was underneath. You had to get these little glimpses and that she would work it into her performance. Um, I was just going to say, basically, thematically for Sue throughout season two, the most that we see really and the only constant throughout everything is that she's in overwhelming pain. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's the only constant. Mm. Oh, yes. That's such a good point. Yeah. Uh, that just brought that visual and, to me when when Austin comes in and tells her about the twins and that he's already decided and she buttons up and then says, well, I guess you've already decided it. And that the way she says that and then she cr- almost curls into a fetal position. Yeah, I mean, we, we discussed this towards the end of season one, how we start seeing Sue just shove down all her pain and all her trauma. I mean, we just see a continuation of it this season, but in a more... I guess, glitzed and glammed and glittered up way. Yeah. And she has more to shove down too after losing the baby. So, mm-hmm. okay. All right. Shall we dive into the poem, Jess? Yeah. Let us so dive. I'm thinking we should read the poem for context and then give our analysis. Okay, go ahead. I mean, just <laughs> shall, you read, you shall, I don't yeah, know. shall you read the poem? Read the poem. The poem. What will you do with your poems? 
Yeah, you're the poem reader. Would you mind reading the poem? Yes, you are. <laughs> you're the official poem reader. You've read two, three poems? No, two poems? Poems on, on poems. this podcast? Uh, yeah, so. Ready and poem. Okay. Fame is a fickle food upon a shifting plate whose table once a guest but not the second time a set whose crumbs the crows inspect and with ironic caw flap past it to the farmer's corn men eat of it and die yes so i'm sure let's break this down okay uh fame is volatile in nature it is prone to change but the plate it served on changes as well fame which was once served to someone will lose it as the plate itself shifts right yes except for i will challenge one thing there is no fame in nature okay there is fame in human nature when you think about it fame fame doesn't exist anywhere except for in human nature right but the whole context of the poem is about human nature but based from the perspective of nature Right. But I mean, it's just artificial. It's not a natural thing. Fame is not right. an organic thing to anything except for human humans. Yeah. yeah. There's nothing natural about it at yeah. all. And and so I, I just feel like that colors it for me. It is completely artificial. And that's why it's so tricky and can be so dangerous. And men can die of it. Well, I mean, the nature of fame toward people in general is rise and fall, right? It's it's insatiably it's fleeting. Yeah, so, it's insatiable. It's so crazy how quickly, yeah, it's so crazy how quickly someone can rise and fall. Yeah. I mean, I saw it literally the other the other day how literally within 24 hours someone was like the hottest thing on the face of the planet and then next thing you know they were getting dragged all over the internet. It was brutal. Well- it's also super fi- I mean it's so superficial the person that you're talking about, right? That's talented and beautiful. Like, why were they famous to begin with? And nepotism. Like, what takes them down? Well, she's also really talented and she's yeah, gorgeous. brilliant. And, mm-hmm. but like, it's, I think Sam completely personifies what fame is. It validates you in the worst way. It can turn its attention on you. And if you take that as a validation, it can kill you because it'll turn away, right? It's fleeting, just like you said. I, I just see him like he's the perfect, the way he eats which I can't stand, mm, but it's like yeah. fame does that. Fame devours things. It devours you and can, well, and devours things for its own energy use and nothing else, right? Well, yeah. I mean, speaking though about how him eating, the way he eats, I mean, it's kind of relevant to the poem, yeah. I'd say, because like in, from the perspective of somebody who would be, let's say, starving, right? Mm-hmm. Death from either lack of it or the, way, the desire yeah. to be fulfilled by it mm-hmm. is what fame would be the way he's like inhaling mm-hmm. his food like literally that's how i see it inhaling his food it's like he's he wants more more fame give me more fame give me m- more people with talent more people i want to mooch off of this like it's and you are a commodity you are something for me to eat and here's something else this is related to the poem I thought it was really interesting. This is the first time we've seen Emily tell somebody a poem and it's in front of Sam. And I was like, oh, that's why, that's how that relationship, that whole scene that she has with him leading up to that, when the poem starts to come to her, she's never even done that with Sue that we've seen. We've, we've heard her repeat a poem as Sue was sleeping, but Sam's literally the first person, right? 
where Emily's creating in front of him. So I feel like that's for me, I was like, no wonder everything's so enmeshed and her, her um, validation is enmeshed in this person that represents fame. I mean, for me, it kind of like connects. I mean, I, I connect everything to music, but like Sarah Borelli's is uh love song I'm not gonna write you a love song mm. she wrote that about the industry like I'm not gonna write you a love song because it sells I'm gonna write music because this is what I love to do and I'm gonna write a song that feels good to me I think that is you know essentially Emily Dickinson like I'm gonna write my poetry I'm gonna write it the way I in real life I'm gonna write what I want to write and I'm not gonna seek fame because it's what everyone wants me to do or because it's the thing you should do when you are this brilliant talented person I'm gonna hide my poems instead we see you know in season two we see her hiding we see that little reference of yeah. her hiding her fascicles in in the chest yeah I thought it was really interesting too that in the scene proceeding when she uh proceeding this with the group when they're talking about the cake it hit me how much depth that conversation between everybody was when they were like oh your cake is great they're like you said that mm -hmm. about last year and then Abigail is like the person who made that cake should die. And they're like, she did. Vinny's like, she did. She had a mental breakdown and she committed suicide. And it's like, oh, <laughs> all these things interwoven that, that and was then we deep. hear this poem at the end of people die of it. And thinking about, especially young people, like uh, who get fame from YouTube and get fame on the internet that's connected to just being out there. And then all the turmoil that can happen. Or in the music industry. Yeah. I mean, we see it a lot with young artists that are coming up. They get way too famous, way too fast, and they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to manage their money. They don't know how to manage themselves or, or dealing with the limelight. They think this is what they want. They think they want to break into the music industry because they want to be famous. They want to have cars, mm -hmm. clothes, all this other stuff, but they don't understand the pressure that comes with it. So they cave. Well, what about also being connected to your art? Like what... Like if you're grounded, like being connected and grounded in a certain way, but then also surrounding yourself with, with people that are going to keep you grounded, you know, like you hear Billy Ellish talking about that. And I've heard a lot of other her and her brother. Yeah. Family is really important. You need to stay grounded because the top part of fame can kill parts of you. If it doesn't kill you outright, it can kill parts of you. Right. I, I've seen it low key in LA with some smaller projects I worked on. People get a teeny bit of fame and it's, amazing what it can do to you if you're not grounded and if you don't have like a strong foundation um i mean you hear from some of the most like well-rounded and like older millionaires that like whenever you ask them for advice they say find people you can trust like almost like family and take them to the top with you you can't you can't switch up just because you you've become yeah. famous like that's dangerous right so you have to have people that you can trust and stay grounded within yourself don't put art out just because it's what sells in the industry but it's because it's what yeah. comes from you that's the same thing with music or any art like I think like for me you guys have seen me talk about dropping an EP I haven't dropped it yet because I don't feel comfortable with what's on it and I'm not going to put it out just because you know I have to put it out like no I want to put out something great and I think it's the same with anyone's music or that's how it should be yeah with anyone's music or art totally Jess what else did you get out from that poem or what else did you want to share about it well I, I mean I think I pretty much covered it I think that making that reference to Sam and the aspect or or the perspective of someone starving would bring 
kind of some mm. weight for anybody that maybe didn't understand the full context of of that episode or of the poem I have a question for you guys is there anyone in the industry that you have seen like be this brilliant beautiful shining star and you've just seen the industry destroy them for me I I would have to say I had watched this documentary on Brittany Murphy oh yeah I was gonna say Brittany Murphy yeah and I not just her but Juice World as well like one of probably the most brilliant artist that we've had in the young generation in a while. Um, he, he was absolutely astonishing as an artist, but just crumbled, I, I guess, under, under all the pressure. You know, I was an actor when I was younger in my early twenties and um, it is rough. <clears throat> it is. And I had a very loose sense of self, which was really good for my acting, but was really bad for being in the industry. And, you know, I was saying, if you don't have a sense of self, which I didn't, it can be incredibly destructive. And I'm not even talking about fame because I was not famous, but even just trying to live in the industry, especially as an actor, you know, music, I would imagine is kind of the same thing. And then you're also producing this, it's coming out of you, you know, just like with acting, you are your instrument. And it's just, it's really, really hard if you don't have that foundation. So I've seen a lot of people low key, really talented, beautiful people, low key, just not low key, but below the fame radar that just couldn't live in their art and couldn't couldn't pursue it. I mean, I've had arguments with people like about my music or my sound, right? Um, we'll be working on a song and then they'll be like, are you sure that that's the sound that you want to go for? Like, mm, are you sure it's going to, you know, hit? Or do you think it's going to go big or this and that? I'm like, that's not the point. Like the point is not free. I just want to put it out because this is this is how I'm feeling or this is the sound that I like, yeah. you know, which is, it's, it's kind of funny because Jess and I were talking the other day and she was like, you like listening to this like type of pop or this, and you know, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And then lo and behold, that's actually kind of the music that I like to make. Cool. But a lot of times they would think I would like to make more urban music, mm. which is not the case. Which is not the case. Speaking speaking no. for a second about um, something you said, Robin, about for those that seek fame but still live under that uh, celebrity line, right? People who tried above mm -hmm. it to try to rise above it but can't because they're ultimately, you mm -hmm. know, crushed by the weight of the pressure. But I mean, that would tie back to the poem, I'd say, considering mm. famous fickle, it chooses. Yeah. It's predisposed. Well, there's no recipe for it, really. I mean, there's kind of some recipes to be like famous on social media now, right? Which is a thing that didn't exist 10 years ago. Like TikTok and yeah. all that. Also, I'm going to say one more thing, too, about like not even dealing with fame. But when it comes to being in a, in a profession where there is fame involved is that you also need to be ready to live the life. Like that's one thing I found with acting is I just wasn't I wasn't built for acting because you have to be out there in a certain way all the time. You have to be able to bring yourself all the time, but it's you all the time. And I was not built for that. I was like, I just want to go behind the camera and fame. You also, if you got to pursue it, right, you have a foundation, you got to be kind of built for it. I mean, there's a lifestyle that goes along with these things that you want. And I feel like people see one side of fame, which is like, everyone's going to know who I am and I, you know, whatever, all the falsities. But then there's also like living that, you know, for me, I think it's kind of crazy, though, when you see celebrities of such a high status, like, yes, you, you have to be out in the light a certain amount of time and you have to be 
okay with being exposed like that but you see people like Beyonce Mm -hmm. right who you don't see something come out unless she okays it right like I remember this wasn't even that long ago when I think her twins were born and there was a picture released of them and like for a moment it was all over the internet and then next thing you know you go on google you could not find a picture of them it's like almost like she snapped her fingers and made everything disappear. So like being a celebrity of that high status, you have some sort of a control over how much you get exposed, which is weird. Like Rihanna. <laughs> Rihanna, I mean, they have such poise and control over their over their careers and over their celebrity. Yeah. Well, there's also people who are really comfortable being in that position. Like I feel like Kristen Stewart is now comfortable in the position that she's in. I feel like Haley is incredibly comfortable in the public eye and, has and, so much and that's, control. she has her family around her and I don't know exactly what it is but there are some people and I think they're built for it they're like they can again not that I know but like I would imagine she's they're not buying into the falsities of fame they are grounded in what they do and who they are and and are able to do that and I don't feel a falsity with either one yeah. of them really um I feel like with Haley you see she has so much control of self and so much control of of how much she puts out like she's such a cryptic person i think she, you know I like mean, every time she's on social like, media yeah, why isn't she cryptic. tweeting it was like i don't know maybe she's living her life a little <laughs> she's always said she's a cryptic queen like she says she's the queen of cryptic right like anytime she does put something out it's always like so sneaky right but then also you see her like pulling herself away from social media right you see her whole fandom writing because she hasn't she hasn't been on social media for so long that's control of self that's control that's of healthy her, boundaries her, i think how much she, yeah <laughs> mm-hmm, how much she puts out into the world like we don't know a darn thing about her new album coming out which i think is great i don't know again who am i to say but like i know that i know that everybody i know talks about having creating um healthy boundaries with social media and these are not obviously none of us are famous. <laughs> We're not even talking about fame, but just the relationship to this social world, right? Where celebrity lives. So yeah, I just see it as really, really good boundaries of like, why would she, I mean, you know, especially she does so much. I mean, just even looking at the Emmys for your consideration coming up, ooh, ooh, she's got Arcane out there. She's got Hawkeye and she's got Dickinson, like, well, who knows what she's filming right now? I mean, we don't know what's going on with Hawkeye. Arcane 2 is going to start recording at some point. I mean, she's, you know, like that season's coming up. So she's the queen of keeping a job. I mean, like she's she's rocking it. Haley Steinfeld, Haley Miss Get a Bag Steinfeld. I mean, just. Yeah. Well, we did have other notes for this sequence, but they go through the whole season. So. I think yeah, we I think will we started, be able yeah. to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's transition and uh, let's go talk to Courtney. So today, guys, today we are speaking with Courtney. You might think that when the Brits sing God Save the Queen, they was talking about Elizabeth, but they wasn't. They was talking about Courtney. Courtney, hi, how you doing? Howdy. Hi, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm I'm just dandy. Okay. <laughs> Do I have to bow? Uh, yeah, okay. I prefer it. Yeah. 
I'll, I'll give I'll give the tip of the hat, the tip of the the struts and no 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 not even both fingers, not even just the no no I do the both fingers. Howdy, ma'am. Howdy, ma'am. Howdy. All right. Howdy. Howdy. <laughs> okay. All right. So today for the guest segment, we are talking about multifaceted women in art, poetry, film production, wardrobe design, and fashion. And uh, our guest is a multifaceted woman in art. Courtney, Thank you. tell us a little bit about what you do. Uh, everything. Everything. I, she I, does everything. I try to do everything. So Everything under the sun. <laughs> and she's absolutely immaculate and wonderful at everything, too. So she doesn't Thank just do it. That. She succeeds. She succeeds, okay? So I wanted to ask you guys today, what female poets inspire you? So for me, like it's it's Maya Angelou, it's uh Ruby Ruby Cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then for me, one of Maya Angelou's, one of my favorite work of hers is her poem In and Out of Time. Mm -hmm. So that is just uh, a body of reference for me. And then um for Rupi, it is Milk and Honey. The poem or the whole book. The whole book. The whole book. Yes. What about you, Courtney? Uh for me, I mean, of course. Emily Dickinson um but I actually really like a Japanese poet from back in like she was born in 976 um and her name's Izumi Shikabu oh wow yes and I really like her stuff particularly I know the poem but I don't know the name mm. and we know Courtney's not the type of person to recite the poem for us so no that's not me <laughs> But yeah, she writes some really beautiful pieces. They're quite short and they're all translated, but they're really, really pretty. If you if you send me a link or if you send me something, I can post it on the podcast Twitter. Okay, I will do. And Miss Rabin, what about you? Tell us <clears throat> what female poets inspire you in some of their bodies of work. So my wife, <laughs> I have been given the okay to say her name. Her name is Megan Brysad. She has a manuscript called Sun Blue, which is a collection of her work, which is gorgeous. And I hope the world gets to see it soon. And she's working on a new manuscript. So I will let everybody know when she's been published. Anne Carson, I would say her entire body of work. And then there's this new poet who also writes prose. Her name's Courtney. What's her <laughs> last name? How do you pronounce her last name? Courtney. Mm. You can say her middle name. Yeah, we can say her middle uh, name. Is that, her mid is that your middle name, Courtney? Um, Liana's okay. middle name. Liana E. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, E is like the initial of my Got second it. name. Yeah, so I was gifted Courtney's book, Everybody, in podcast land, and uh, you should buy it as well. I was gifted by Jay for Christmas, and it's called Bedroom Ceiling Conversations. It's poetry and prose, and it is fabulous. Um, I will tell you which ones I really like. We, we, I'm just, you know, throwing it back real quick. Uh, we read a poem yes. of hers on one of our previous episodes, and I will be sharing the link to that on our podcast Twitter, as well as the link to her book. Boom, 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 so you can uh, get all that good yes. stuff. Yes, and if it's okay with you, Courtney, and I, yes. I would love to also put uh, your poem Everything out there, which just made me go... Huh. <laughs> like, 
It's, it has, yeah, yeah okay. It had the same effect to me on it. some of Emily Dickinson poems where, you know, we've talked about dissecting poems and I'm like, I can't because they just like wash over me. And that one just really, 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 I just wanted to sit in it for a really long time. Um, your poem about Naya. Okay. Uh-huh. That was amazing. And then your prose, I don't know how many slashes there are. Um, it's um, <laughs> It's the prose you wrote about anxiety. Uh-huh. Which call. was amazing. I mean, Courtney, that like summed up, I feel like that summed up so much of my experience of life up until probably just recently, <laughs> I would say. I just think it was beautiful and evocative and so right on. Like, you know, sometimes it's like when you read something and it's just every, your body and your mind physiologically goes, yeah, it was really, mm -hmm. it was really Thank wonderful. You. Thank you for saying that. Are you working on anything new, Courtney? Or are you? I know that you, you, you work in so many mediums. Um, I am. I am working on some more. I'm taking my time a little bit with this one, though. Um, the first book, it was all written over like, well, throughout the um, first lockdown. Mm. So it's only a, like a matter of months, and I just put it out there just to get something into the world. Mm. Um, so this one, I'm taking a little bit more time. Um, I wrote a lot of poems when my grandma passed away last year. And I need to go through it, go back through them, um, sort of finish some of them. And yeah, and just take my time a little bit. Well, we look forward to your next body of work. We look forward to reading it. As always, we love your poetry. We love your work. And we think you're absolutely amazing. Yes. Jess, what about you? What kind of poems or female poetry inspires you? Okay, uh, mine is a little bit more bleak. Um, I had two, of course, we know I like Emily Dickinson, but um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Sylvia Plath too. Um, yes. And I chose, I chose a, a stanza from uh, Lady Lazarus that spoke to me on kind of like a universal way. It's a uh, dying is an art like everything else. I do it exceptionally well. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you guys have any take on what that might mean to you? I don't know. The first time you just said it, that just kind of hit me like a truck. <laughs> I mean, the, the whole poem is is one worth reading, definitely. Um, but that's one of my my favorite ones I would choose. I mean, it's she wrote it in the year preceding her death. Mm. And it speaks to her. It's like a preceptor to her intent, I feel like it's extended metaphors, yeah. death and resurrection, you know, um, in juxtaposition to Lazarus. And but the thing is, is in this poem, she's dead at the beginning mm. and it's coming from that perspective, or at least it speaks to her own personal suffering at the very least. That's deep. I'm going to need to read the full poem. You do. Yeah. Robin, I know you will have lots of good uh, juice and stimulation here. Um, Dickinson fashion. Let's talk about Jennifer Moeller. Let's talk about the intricacies of, of her work. I mean, for me, I think the most impactful uh, work from Dickinson was Sue's very, like, I think, drastic transition from season one to season two and then the mellowing out in season three because we have a woman who is very firm in who she is now that transition and that character arc and then her style evolution throughout the three seasons was really incredible 
Well, I can't, I, I wouldn't say I can't speak to, to Sue's wardrobe, but I mean, the entire cast honestly went through a full evolution. Um, in particular to me, it's Austin's, of course, um, that I like his evolution a little bit more, um, just because it's a little bit more personal to me. But I think in season three, we kind of see him tone it down a bit as where in season one and two, he's like very upscale, kind of bougie. Right. I will say, I think we don't highlight the men's fashion as much because we are so focused on uh, the dresses and, and the detail and the colors and just how extravagant or over the top the dresses were that we don't highlight the men's fashion and, and the intricate work that Jennifer Muller really put into the detail of just every every little ensemble, every little thing. Maybe that's because it is more immediate to kind of recognize character through costume with uh, with the ladies back then, too. And I don't know, because I'm not a fashion expert, but a lot more detail was put into women's clothes than the men's because women had to look good for the men. So money was put into that. And, uh, you know, and that's where women would invest their time. I would just I was thinking about my favorite dresses and um, I love Emily's red dress. And I wanted to ask you all, why do you think it was red? Mm. It's a question I'd ask. Courtney, I was going to say, it's a question I'd ask Jennifer Muller, but she was not the head designer on season one. John Dunn was. She was the first assistant, and then she took over. Um, she was actually doing, I looked at her, her portfolio is insane. Her stage portfolio, oh my gosh. Julius Caesar, Romeo and Juliet, I mean the work is beyond beyond and then Sweeney Todd well Sweeney Todd and, Sweeney and then Todd. yeah and then all the you know all the contemporary too um my favorite was Midsummer yeah. Night's Dream that was just that was gorgeous but so That's I would ask her insane. um what John did or I'm sure she was in on that but I was I was wondering that so what do y'all think why do you think it was red I think well for me when I look at it I instantly think of a rose a red rose and oh. rose does mean love and romance and obviously it's her romance with death almost mm. very nice so that's what that's what i think anyway <laughs> that makes a lot of sense yeah. to me actually okay i think we figured it out it does <laughs> i think Courtney figured yeah, it out. <laughs> i'm just like i i'm like i don't think after that, that was... <laughs> um and of course for me sue's gold dress which i just Again, want to know how they oh lit it goodness. and how long it took them to light it in a for a tracking shot. Um, actually, Emily's white and blue dress in episode one, season two, is really I really noticed it on this rewatch. Her clothing is also reflective so much of character, but that dress is just gorgeous. I don't know why, but I keep thinking of Sue's water. That's uh, my dress. next one. And you know what I love about it too? <laughs> is that a lot we see her in a lot of two-piece things in the beginning and then that when she comes in her watermelon dress she's like okay you know just like mrs dickinson says i guess you really are that bitch she's like all right i'm gonna come back with a little fashion i'm obviously not breastfeeding anymore <laughs> i'm not wearing two-piece um no but i think that that was a real statement and if we ever got to talk to jennifer muller open invitation um i would ask her so because of the design of, of all the costumes and stuff like that, transporting us to the 19th century, let's talk about the transition and evolution of like fashion from the 19th century on. So for me, I think the question I was going to pose is when do you guys think, and 
I don't know if you guys have an answer for this or not, but when do you guys believe women stopped wearing corsets? Uh, it's said to have been around the First World War yeah. when they didn't have the materials. Oh. That was he dropped. So approximately like 1918-ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So they still continued to wear shapewear between, you know, they, they wore it in the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, up until, I mean, they, they kind of like didn't really wear corsets as much, right? Up until the 60s. Mm-hmm. And then that basically style completely changed. I don't know if you guys know what the 60s were, but it's technically considered like the space age. And that's when you see all like the the straight lines, the uh, just the bright colors or the more simplistic designs where, you know, you see the woman dressing and there's not really anything fitted. Um, It's just straight, straight, straight lines, outwards, very flowy. In the 60s? Yeah. Jacqueline Kennedy keeps coming into my head and I feel like I saw a lot of fitted things on her though. So, well, I mean, yeah, they were fitted, right? They, they had a mix, but that's also whenever the design kind of switched around and we saw, um, I don't know if you guys have seen, uh, the, of course you have, uh, the Queen's Gambit. Yeah, <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yep. I love um, So mm. the Queen's Gambit and you see those small, you see the green dress, mm-hmm. right? Um, that was pretty much inspired by, uh, I think it was what, uh, Andre, Andre uh, Courage? It's like a French French designer, French fashion house, and they kind of had like this spatial design. Like you see all the bright colors. If we think about Twiggy, like Twiggy, we, we can think about Jacqueline Kennedy. We can talk about you know Jane Fonda. All these different like styles, um, but all with that same design. We saw fashion kind of enter um, a different style. Um, we saw, I think it was a uh, YSL, Yves Saint Laurent. He was the head of Dior at the time. And then he also created his own line around that time. So my question to you guys, obviously you can tell my favorite fashion era was the 60s. We have some of the biggest fashion icons we have, like I said before, Jacqueline Kennedy. Uh, we have Audrey Hepburn as well. We have all these incredible style icons. And personally, my favorite was Twiggy. Um, so the 60s is my favorite fashion era. What's your favorite fashion era? I would have said the 60s as well. Um, but I do also like the 40s. Mm-hmm. The 40s. What was more prominent in the 40s? Could um, you like name a fashion icon of the time? I don't think I can name a fashion icon, but uh, I think I like the long sleeve dresses. They seem to have a lot of long sleeve stuff. Robin, you know my favorite my favorite uh one of my favorite seasons of a designer was gucci 94 (laughs) like it was my favorite which was retro (laughs) and i really thought about it and i love fashion now because it's a fusion of all the eras and alexander mcqueen is like one of my favorites of all time and I love the way that house fuses so much. Um, you know, the yin and the yang and different eras. And yeah, I'd have to say now, I love it. Um, Acne Studios, which yes. I've never seen before. I love what they do. Um, yeah, I'd say now. 
Jess, what about you? Uh, I'd have to say the 20s. 20s. My, yeah, the 20s is more... Flapper Central. Yeah, give me all the F. Scott Fitzgerald vibes, please. All the Peaky Blinders. And... Yeah, all the Peaky Blinders, <laughs> yes. Goodness gracious. So let's move on. So Robin, you gave us your favorite fashion fashion designers or design designer, right? Um, what about you guys? Mine personally is YSL or Dior. And which for me, like the era of the 60s, YSL and Dior were, you know, hand in hand. YSL was the head of Dior. And then he branched out and created his own fashion line, which we know as St. Laurent, right? What about you, Courtney? Right now, I'm obsessed with David Coma. I just mm. love everything that he creates. Um, but like big, big names, I like Amani, um, Stella McCartney. I really do love David Coma as well. Their their like latest show that they had was was nuts, and it was I don't know why, but it was very remnant of like it was giving like for me it was giving sixties with the colors and the and the you know just the simplicity of like just the lines that were used. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why it just it it really caught my eye. What about you, Jess? Favorite designer. <laughs> Uh, so mine's you gonna say be... Aria, I'm gonna, I'm gonna... No, <laughs> no, it's not. Um, mine's so basic compared to everybody else's answers, I swear. Um, Calvin Klein. Oh, I was, look, I was about to take a guess. I was about to say Tommy Hilfiger. <laughs> close, close, close. Uh, no. I do Calvin love Klein. Tommy. I do love Tommy, though. Tommy's so good. So I did want to update you on um, our shared adventure that we all committed to, which was going to the Emily Dickinson Museum. So I contacted the museum. They said to keep checking their website and I'm subscribing to their newsletter, but I'm getting a fall vibe. Oh, thank God. Not I'm like, time. I was going to be in Arizona. There was no way this was happening for me. I say the fall because it's going to be gorgeous in Amherst and that'll be the Emmys and... Um, you know, we're hoping we're hoping they get some Emmy love. Looks like I don't know, maybe maybe Apple will like push this year and you know try to get them in the Emmy. We can hope, we can hope and pray, and I'm a I'm a do a little shimmy, a little dance, you know, just so. Not a shimmy, not the shimmy, <laughs> not the shimmy, not the. I shimmy. mean, I would watch you do it. No, you wouldn't, because I wouldn't do it in front of you. What? <laughs> Especially not on camera here, and then Courtney's there. No, we're not doing it because I'm oh. telling you, I just I I don't I don't want to get dragged. I'm pretty sure I will get dragged at some point. Pretty sure you will too. She's like saving it. It's in her pocket. I know. I know. She's, she's building putting, it she's up. She's putting things away in her pocket to hurt, to hurt me later. It's fine. All right, I got another question for Courtney. Okay. Courtney, what are you working on right now as far as your art media goes? Um, I'm doing a lot of collages at the moment. Mm. A lot of digital collages. Um, yeah, and trying to uh, do a little more photography now that the weather is better in England. Okay. Because it's been, it's been terrible, so yeah. But uh, yeah, like, I'm hoping to, to branch out into a bit of um, embroidery but we'll see how that goes. I'm like, I see all the pictures of her dog and literally I'd be, I'd be crying. 
<laughs> Theo is literally the cutest puppy I've ever seen. He's aside so from my puppy, aside from my puppy. So. Bella's yeah, I'm on, I'm on your Instagram right now looking at your pictures. Yeah, Be Bella is cute. Bella's the sweetest little girl. She's yesterday. No, she was a turd yesterday. Never mind. She was very rude yesterday. But she's not normally. She's normally like chill. To to you. To me. When when she FaceTimes me. <laughs> yeah. When uh, she's on FaceTime. She's super calm the whole time. I have a question for Courtney. Oh, here we go. When are you gonna teach me how to shoot a bow and arrow? Oh, uh, I'll bring it to Amherst. <laughs> I'll bring one too. Courtney, do you have like a long bow? Uh, no, it's a recurve, a recurve bow. Okay. I don't know why I was like, no, it's a very short bow. Have you used compound? No, no, I haven't. Oh, Jess, so Jess, you were also an archer. I'm just getting back into mm -hmm. it. I was into it when I was a was a young spud. I want to get a long bow. I'm the only one sitting here. I'm the only one sitting here that cannot shoot a bow and arrow. Great. I love it. I mean, I'm not. I'm not going to say I got back into it because awesome. of Hawkeye, but I did get back into it because of Hawkeye. <laughs> because I'm ten, and um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I go out every day during <laughs> day break and go shoot some arrows and alarm. The birds and the trees around me but oh my gosh archery in amherst what could be better okay so it was very very lovely chatting with you courtney i look forward to your next body of work whether it be you know the poetry the all your artwork is incredible i obviously as you can see i have two right here behind me up on my wall uh -huh. which will unfortunately not be going with me to arizona because I don't want them to get ruined. So they will stay right here, but I will get more pieces for my Arizona apartment because we support Courtney here. We support Courtney. Yeah, we do. And I will put the link to her Etsy store on our Twitter page. And I will also put the poetry book on the Twitter page and all of her feature work. So you guys can get all that jazz. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us, Courtney. We really appreciate it. You know, we adore you. Right back at you. Thank you. And Queen, we're going to bow you out. So, or curtsy. <laughs> no, really, seriously. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks for coming on again. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Just a quick little message. Uh, we want to say thank you for listening to us. And you can follow us on our podcast Twitter at the number four, Evermore, capital P-O-D. And you can follow us on Instagram at dickinson.forevermore.podcast. That's right. And you can hear this podcast on Spotify or wherever else that you listen to podcasts. Where did Jess well, go? Did, she, did you just go to make your bed? No. <laughs> I had a cat outside my door screaming her head off. Emily, Emily Dickinson? Yes. You have a cat named Emily Dickinson, and I am just hearing this for the first time. I've had her the whole time you've known me. But <laughs> have you told me that? How could I possibly not remember I guess that? not. It never came up. Um, Anytime she's sassing her, I'm like, Emily. What else are you telling me, Jess? <laughs> she's solid black. Of course she she's is. She's solid black, and her name is Emily Dickinson. <laughs> of course she is.
she's also a Sagittarius. 